The Lamb of God. Maybe you've heard this title used before, and maybe you haven't. But either way, what does it really mean? Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly message from Gamia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I'm excited about what the Holy Spirit will do in your life as you listen to this message. As a community of faith, we're passionate about helping people hear and respond to the invitation of God in their life and join in His mission to restore everything in Jesus. In today's message, we begin a short series that will take us through to Easter entitled, Behold. It's a series in John's Gospel reflecting on the way John uses some of the language and imagery of the book of Exodus and the wilderness journey to describe Jesus' ministry. In this sermon, the second in the series, Brett Robinson, a student pastor here at GBC, shares with our evening congregation some reflections on this title, The Lamb of God, that John the Baptist uses to describe Jesus. I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to share. Bible readings from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting from verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, thanks, Aaron, and good, good evening, everybody. Well, uh, this evening we, we begin a new series um, titled, Behold, Exodus Unfolding in John. Uh, we have been travelling through the book of Exodus, if you've been journeying with us up until now. Uh, that uh, series is being placed on hold. We will come back to that series after Easter. Uh, but it is only fitting for us now, as we are just a couple of weeks out from Easter, to shift our focus towards the cross, to shift our focus towards Easter. And so this series, we'll be looking at the Gospel of John, and part of the opportunity that we have is also to look more specifically at some of the themes that come through from Exodus that are shown in John's Gospel. And so this evening we'll begin by having a look at this passage which involves John the Baptist. However, I thought I'd start by just making a note because it may not be obvious to everybody and because I'm one of these people who kind of struggles with this kind of thing myself, that the Gospel of John is not actually written by John the Baptist. These are two different people. We have John the Evangelist, who is the one who has been attributed to writing this gospel, and we have John the Baptist. So these are two different people. Something that I felt was important just to lay out there because some of you may get confused as we travel through this sermon. 
John the Baptist was somebody who came before Jesus. He was one who was prophesied. He was prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, where it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. He's also prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so John the Baptist comes preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, calling people to confess and to turn back to God. Now, if we overlay the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if we try to harmonize all of those stories to provide one lineal timeline of John's ministry, this is something of what we would see. First of all, John comes and he preaches a message of repentance, and he is baptizing people in the Jordan River. During this time, Jesus himself comes to John and is baptized by John. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, both Jesus and John see the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends onto Jesus as a dove and remains there. Jesus, after being baptized, then heads out into the wilderness to spend 40 days being tempted by Satan. And we presume that during this time, John continues his ministry, continuing to baptize people and call them to repentance. At some point after the 40 days of being in the wilderness, as Jesus re-engages with society, He's meandering through a crowd and John catches his sight and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he is before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I saw the Spirit come down on him from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This emphatic declaration of John is significant because in this moment he is making a statement about who Jesus is, but more than this, what he has come to do. Firstly, who? Jesus, the anticipated Messiah. There are a number of prophecies throughout Jewish literature about the coming Messiah, an anointed one from God who would rescue Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly 
and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. John the Baptist is not taking a step backwards in coming forwards in declaring who Jesus is. He is certain that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one whom Israel have been longing for. He is God's chosen one. And he links this word, this phrase, chosen one, with a prophecy from Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. This fulfillment of prophecy and the witness by John the Baptist is enough to make this bold statement that Jesus is God's chosen one. And it's this bold statement. It's a bold statement to make because Israel are anticipating and hoping for a saviour. They are anticipating and hoping for the chosen one to come and save them. But who Jesus is and the subsequent expectation that are placed on what he has come to do don't match what it is he's actually come to do. It would be like me coming to you and saying, here I have the world's best bowl of ice cream. And as I give it to you, you're sitting there going, oh, I know what this is. This is double chock fudge, the best ice cream that could ever be. And as I hand you the bowl and as you peer inside and you see the ice cream, you go, oh, it's um, strawberry swirl with macadamia nuts. The expectation doesn't match the plan. The expectation that Israel had for what the Messiah would look like doesn't match the plan that God had for the Messiah. And so John is heralding to those who are listening to him in this moment what it is the Messiah will look like. And he does so by giving him this title, Lamb of God, the one who will take away the sin of the world. Jesus isn't going to live up to the anticipated expectations of the people. And this title that John gives is one that would likely have provoked inquiry amongst the Israelite people. The title, Lamb of God, is used a total of two times in Scripture. And both of those times are in this chapter. You know, if you want to get someone's attention, if you want to pique someone's interest about someone you're talking about, you can describe them in a way that they're not used to. You can describe them in a way that perhaps they haven't quite heard before. So if I'm talking to you about my boss and I refer to my boss as His Excellency, <laughs> you guys might sit there and go, really? Who is this guy? And you might perhaps inquire and say, does your boss have some form of formal title? To which I would respond, no, this is just the way he asked us to address him. <laughs> 
Nevertheless, an unusual title, especially when it's true and not false, an unusual title piques our interests. And just as this is true for us, so too this is true for John's hearers. And so what John is doing is provoking his hearers to think about and reflect upon what it might mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. So as we begin to think about some of the connotations of the title, we begin to realise that this imagery of a lamb is not a foreign concept to the Jewish people. Lambs were, to at least some degree, synonymous with sacrifice. It's kind of how in Australia, thanks to some relentless advertising, lamb for us is synonymous with Australia Day. You can't have Australia Day without a lamb chop. So too with the Israelites, thanks to their history, thanks to their heritage, lamb, as well as other animals, were associated with sacrifice and offering. So John is quite clearly pointing towards Jesus being a sacrifice, the one who will take away sin. And there are plenty of Old Testament references that can be drawn upon to paint this picture of this sacrificial lamb. We can look at Isaiah's prophecy that the chosen one will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Or we can go right back to Genesis chapter 22 where God instructs Abraham to sacrifice his own son. Now in this case, God has promised Abraham offspring offspring that will multiply into a nation. But Abraham and his wife Sarah are very old. And in their old age, God has granted them a son, Isaac. And so with the instruction to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham is trusting and holding on to God's promise that God will rescue. However, this doesn't stop Isaac questioning and querying as they're walking up the mountain. He's walking up the mountain with his father and he, he turns around and he's looking around and he's like, um, hey, Dad, we've, uh, we've got the wood, we've got the fire. Um, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? There are links within the Old Testament to prophecies and literature that connect God's mission and story with sacrificial lamb. It's thread throughout the whole scripture. We can see it in multiple places. However, arguably the most strongest and significant place that we see this is in the Passover in Exodus. The reason for this is the link between Jesus' ministry and the Passover festival. In John's Gospel, after Jesus turns water into wine, the very first public act of ministry that Jesus makes is on the lead-up to the Passover. His first act of public ministry is at Passover. And then, Jesus, uh, and then John also bookends Jesus' ministry the very last thing that we see of his public ministry 
the Last Supper is the meal of the Passover. Jesus' ministry is bookended by the Passover festival. The title, Lamb of God, and the promises and the prominence of the Passover within his ministry are key. And here we can see the echoes of Exodus beginning to come through in John's gospel. The question to ask then is, why does John, the writer of this gospel, and why does John the Baptist draw this comparison? Because they are highlighting attributes of Jesus' sacrifice. They are highlighting attributes of Jesus' sacrifice. And we haven't reached uh, the passage of the Passover within our Exodus series yet. We will uh, get there after Easter when we come back to our Exodus series. Uh, So apologies for any spoiler alerts if you don't know the story. But it goes a little bit like this. To abbreviate the comparison between the Passover in Exodus and Jesus' sacrifice. In Exodus, the Israelites are in slavery. And they are in need for being rescued. They are in need for being rescued. And God provides instructions for there to be a lamb sacrifice. And this sacrifice allows for God's judgment to pass over Israel and inflict the Egyptians, which results in the Israelites being set free from slavery by Pharaoh. And so we see that there is a need of rescue from slavery, a sacrificial lamb which avoids God's judgment resulting in being set free. uh, John is foretelling, and this is supported throughout the Gospels, that humanity needs rescuing from sin. And each and every one of us know what that feels like to be caught in a world that is entrapped by sin. Sin infiltrates and impacts each and every one of us. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb offered by God. His death, in his death, we avoid God's judgment because God's judgment passes over us. And through Jesus' resurrection, we have freedom. We have the opportunity to begin to find healing, restoration, and renewal in him. When we follow Jesus, we are not just following some great leader who once lived. We're following the one who is completing God's mission. We are following the one who is fulfilling prophecy. We are following the one who is God's own son and we are following the one who fulfills God's promises. And this declaration echoes right throughout the Gospels. 
and it echoes right throughout the letters that are written to the early churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul writes, Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you already are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that is offered to take away the sin of the world. So what is it that God is inviting us to do out of this passage? It's a question that we've been asking for quite a number of weeks when we have a look at passage. What is it that God is inviting us to do? Well, when John the Baptist first spoke these words, Lamb of God, how do you think the people that were listening to him responded? When we look through the Gospels, it's quite clear that Jesus is met with opposition. He's met with people who follow him. There is a wide range of responses. And so we can say that when John was declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God, it's, it's likely that there would be those who were listening who would identify exactly what it is that John is implying. And they would have been intrigued and they would have pressed in and listened. Ooh, ooh this is interesting. There would have been those who would have understood what John was saying and would have been, ah, I don't know about this. This seems a little bit sketchy. In fact, I, I think this is borderline blasphemy. Perhaps it is blasphemy. There would have been people who would have act, reacted negatively. And then there would have been some who perhaps were confused and been like, oh, actually, I, I've never heard this before. I, I, don't, I don't really know what this is. I'm, I'm a little bit curious, but I don't know. And so the question is, what is John's message to each and every one of those people? For each and every one of those people who have their own individual random reactions, what is John's message to them? What is it that John is inviting his hearers to do? And what is it that we are being invited to do? John's ministry circled around two fundamental purposes. In Matthew chapter 3, it says that John came preaching in the wilderness a message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And people came out and were confessing their sins and were being baptised. The second purpose of John the Baptist's ministry is this, and it is found in verse 31 of tonight's passage. The reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. John's ministry is to call people to repentance, to turn from their ways and to fix their eyes on God. And his other purpose is so that 
the one whom God has chosen would be revealed. And it seems to me that these two things actually go hand in hand. Confessing sins and turning our focus and attention towards God reveals to us the depth and power, the authority and the majesty of Jesus. So as we sit here tonight and we look forward to Easter in a couple of weeks' time, as we hear the resonating echoes of Exodus that Jesus is our Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world, may we be a people who come, confess our sin, Turn towards God, knowing that in Jesus' death, God's judgment passes right over us. And that through Jesus, through his resurrection from the grave, that we are truly set free today and forevermore. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a loving and gracious God, a God who would choose to give his only son as a sacrifice for us, Lord. Father, we acknowledge that sin is a curse that results in death. And yet, Father, that that payment has been made, that sacrifice has been made, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so, Father, as we, as we prepare for Easter in a couple of weeks' time, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, we will confess our sins, that we'll fix our eyes on you, and that the glory of Christ will be ever more revealed in our lives. And Father, this is our prayer. Amen. John's declaration that Jesus is the Lamb of God invites us to consider our need for a sacrificial lamb for the forgiveness of our sins. It is a title that invites reflection, certainly appropriate as we head into Easter. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at guymeabaptist.org.au. We hope that you join us again as we listen for God's invitation to join in His work. May your eyes and ears be open and your heart soft to the invitation of the Spirit to join in God's renewing work in Jesus. God bless.